0: Merry Christmas and welcome to another episode of Patriot to the Core Podcast. I am your host, Thad Forrester. I hope you're having a great Christmas day. And uh, if you've noticed today, I moved the episode up up earlier a day. Normally it's on Monday, but uh, due to our guest, uh, Mr. Gil Halverson, the candy bomber, uh, we moved it to uh, today on Christmas Day, which it happens to be my favorite time of year. Uh, Before we get into talking with Mr. Halverson, I just want to ask you to please go to iTunes and rate the podcast uh, you can also rate it some other places too. I think iTunes is probably the most popular, but you know you can find us on Stitcher, on uh, Google Play, uh, I don't know, maybe some other places too. But you can also uh, on my website find this and all other episodes at ThadForster.com forward slash the Candy Bomber for this episode. Uh, but anyway, I um, really looking forward to this. I, I, Mr. Halverson is a very inspirational guy. He just turned ninety six in October. Uh, full of life, full of positivity. Uh, just uh, energetic and uh, still I think he's still very active. So uh, this is this is going to be a really good episode. I think it'll you'll really enjoy it especially for Christmas day. Uh, what he, what he did as a uh, you know, known as Uncle Wiggly Wings or the Candy Bomber by by dropping the candy to the children in Berlin there in 1948 and 49. It really got a lot of attention and you'll see some links in the show notes. You know, uh, to a video that Tom Brokaw did with him, and uh, he's got a book, and so there's all kinds of stuff if you if you search for Mister Halverson, Gail Halverson, or the Candy Bomber, you'll find a, a, a tons of information about him, and you'll love love the videos. You can also go to his website at uh, wigglywings.weebly That's W E E B L Y. So wigglywings.weebly.com and find out more too. So I'll just get him on now. For joining me today.
1: My pleasure, my privilege.
0: I have, uh, I, you know, when I started this podcast, I had a short list of people that I wanted to talk to, and you're definitely one of the ones I wanted to talk to, and I, and I had the idea, yeah, let's, I'd love to do it for a Christmas special, so, uh, it's, it's an honor to have you on Patriot to the Core. Uh, you are a man in pretty high demand, it seems. Uh, it seems like you travel all over <laughs> to events, and, uh, seems like the media comes to you as well to interview you quite often.
1: Well, it's been interesting. <clears throat> For two sticks of gum, it sure changed my life.
0: Yeah, I'll say. Uh, I wanted to, to get into your, uh, you know, the, the candy bomber itself story. But but one thing I want to ask you first is I read an interview where you you shared how you first notified your parents that you were a pilot while they were working out in the field. Do you mind sharing that story?
1: Well, yeah, I, the parents, my parents, somehow or other, uh, they they knew about it when I they they
0: were they were aware of.
1: I, I, was there, I got my pilot license before the war. I, I, uh, they knew about that then, and uh, I, uh, I had very little university before I went in the military. And, And uh, before the war started, they had a competition uh, for for a uh, flight program, the combination of which would be your private pilot license. And I wanted to watch the farm, the farm, I work in the field, watch the planes going overhead, and I said, that's what I want to do. I want to get out. The farm was a good life, but I want to get in the air. so before the war, they started a non-college pilot training program <clears> to <throat> the state of Utah, well, they all over the United States. And the uh, state of Utah, uh, all together, there were about 160 uh, young men going to night school to study the flight regulations and about flying, aerodynamics, and everything about the rules and regulations. And, and then they gave the pilot, the private pilot test to the hundred and some 50 60, and gave 10 scholarships and I, I studied and I got the, one of the 10 scholarships so my family were well aware of that and cheered me on and I got my pilot license in about May of 1941 and, uh, and, and the 10 of us in the state we put in 50 bucks each and bought an airplane a Piper Cub with a 55 horsepower engine. So I mean, that's how I got started in aviation. And that was before the Pearl Harbor.
0: Well, wow, so you uh, did you actually really do a buzz over your parents' farm?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> well, little in the real old buzz. <laughs> I knew all about regulations, <clears throat> but I on my first uh, cross country before I got my license, I was a solo cross country. Got through that part of the training program i went over the farm and had it, it a required altitude and circle circled and the guns the engine back and forth my big old black dog who chased airplanes i can see him running down there <laughs> running around the house <laughs> <clears throat> and the folks the folks come out on the porch and what and i went back and went to logan utah and then went on back to brigham city and uh, it was a good, but I, I didn't violate any flight regulations in the process.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I thought that was a great story. Anyway, you got to see see your home and and uh, see your dog. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, that's pretty in the cool. Air. Yeah, yeah, that was really
1: cool.
0: Well, I wanted to, if we could go uh, fast forward a little bit to then to um, to you know, I guess it's got multiple names. The Operation Little Vittles, the, the the Berlin airdrop, airdrop, I guess. Uh, can you, will you explain what happened there and and how, you know, why those children touched your life and you did what you did?
1: Well, I uh, I got on the airlift by kind of an accident. I was single at the time in 1948 when the blockade occurred, and then my best friend that was married that in. We were flying out of Mobile, Alabama, to South America. He, his, he was, uh, they'd, they'd take, give me dinner on Sunday morning. It was so good. And, and his, he was put in the list to go in the blockade, fly the, the airlift him. And, and uh, they hadn't been married too long. And, and I, I took his place, I, I volunteered to take his place. So I got on there with some kind of a fluke, and the Soviets got all all the food to West Berlin. West Berlin located deep inside of East Germany, and uh, and so I I I started flying the the airlift, and started started with Larry Kasky, my dear friend, who just got had been married a short time, and uh, I didn't think the airlift would last very long, and so I wanted to get some movies of what it was like, and. So I flew uh, I, I three round trips. This was about early, early July 1948. Three round trips from Frankfurt, West Germany, supplies to Berlin. The flew all night doing that. Came back to, to to Frankfurt, supposed to go to bed. But I, I wanted to get movies. I thought the thing would be over pretty quick. So I, I, I just had my uniform, so I needed to get a flight on the airplane, leaving every five minutes. And, West Germany, so I went back with my camera, took pictures of the kids at the end of the runway. I couldn't leave the airplane because I just came as a passenger, and uh, those kids on one side of the barbed bar wire and me on the inside, taking movies, and they, they talked to me, they in their German, it their pigeon English, and they learned enough, they learned enough to tell, talk to me in English, and I was there for one hour. And out of those 30 kids, at the Barber, not one of them, by voice, reflection, or body language, said, don't you know kids like chocolate? Not one begged. And during the war, I'd flown in Africa and England and all around the, the place. And the kids that age knew Americans had chocolate. And they, they had uh, begging for chocolate. What struck me immediately was these kids hadn't, uh, hadn't had any chocolate for a couple of years where they could buy it. And not one of them for that hour when not stopped. Not one said, you got any chocolate. Hmm. Why? Because they're so grateful for flour to be free. They wouldn't ask for something folks driving. In. So it's not me. It's those 30 kids at the barbed wire fence in Berlin who are so grateful. Gratitude. Grateful for flour, dried eggs, dried potatoes. Dried everything that can be dried. And grateful for the chance to be free. That not one would be a beggar, that was a lesson that stuck with me the rest of my life. Well, because they didn't i didn't, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, didn't have these chocolate and he gave him a two sticks of gum thought in my pocket, and all I had was two sticks of gum and says, "Get out of here, you'll have a slight bloody nose and uh, and uh, but I, I said you'll never see him again he'd be flying you can't you should be in bed, but in Jewish Germany, and this only way to get out the fence to, to Take my sleep time hitchhike to Berlin. You never see them again. Give them what you got. And so I turned back to the fence, broke them into four pieces through the barbed bar, wire. And it wasn't a fight. No so boys and girls, 8 to 15, watching. And they were so grateful that they just didn't, it was the kids that didn't get any half a stick of gum wanted a piece of wrapper to smell. So I tore off pieces of wrapper and passed it to the rest of them. And they smelled puffing those. It just smells of wrap wrapping your eyes got big. Well, I, I thought for, well, a few bucks, I could drop enough gum and chocolate for all of them to have some. And I knew then it was against regulations, and I, and I, and I was sicker for regulations. But I found myself saying, come back tomorrow in this open place. When I come over, just over your head, Salando, and you're still on the other side of bar, in the West Berlin side of the bar bar, I'll drop enough for you. Stuff where you share it. They said, Yeah, I've yeah, to share it. They said, How do you know? How do we you know what airplane you're in? I said, Well, when I come over Berlin the first time over, over the, the, the radio fix, <clears throat> I'll wiggle the wings of my airplane and just watch that one. That's the one that's got it. So that's what happened. Came back the next day. They haven't told another soul about the same can kids standing out in the open before the, just before the barbed bar wire fence. I wiggled the wings and they just went crazy. And pushed it out. Pushed had, had three parachutes with chocolate bars and, and really stumbled gum. And enough for everybody to have some. <laughs> pushed it out the flare chute just before I landed. There's a, a opening in the bottom of the airplane to drop flares out of. And just before I landed, I pushed it out. Couldn't tell if I hit hit him or he pulled it on the runway. But we unloaded 20,000 pounds of flour and, and the taxi got take off right past the end where we had dropped it. And there on the barbed bar wire with all 30 kids and hands waving through the barbed bar, wire, three parachutes, three hangers of parachutes, waving to all the airplanes. The miles were going up and down. Well, the end result was years later. I am not years later, months later. Uh, we we dropped, to, we'd given them 23 tons of of Candy, twenty tons by air, and uh, and the other three tons at Christmas time distributed to all the orphanages in, in West Berlin at Christmas time. The letters were the letters were coming like crazy with instructions and maps for where to drop it. So that that was the the thing that. My my buddy started doing it. Kids in East Berlin wrote, "We can't help them. We're here back back with the Russians. We're not. We have not get any chocolate either." So I said, "Well, the kids are kids. The so heck with the, the politics." So I started dropping some parachutes in East Berlin, uh, where the kids wrote me where they, they would be in the park. I did that for for two weeks, two two drops, two big drops. And I got a call from the, the Air Force commander. who says. What do you do over Berlin? And I said, I'm flying like mad. He says, What are you doing over East Berlin? <laughs> and I said, Well, I'm dropping those nasty communist kids. So you can't do that. And I said, A lot of gravity is on both sides of the border. Uh, it's the same on both sides of the border. So that's not the problem. He says, The Soviets have claimed the State Department's a dirty capitalist trick. You're trying to influence the minds of these young people against their regime. You gotta stop. Well, for two sticks ago, I'm in 1948. I was in the space program. After that, they sent me back. The Air Force sent me back to school, and I got a permanent commission. And they sent me back to school. And and, and, and when there was space program, and got called and and uh, and uh, they go, but the kids are growing up, told their kids about it. They wanted me to come by and drop parachutes to the kids, that the kids who used to catch them. And uh, so in 1970, went I dropped out of the space program in LA, Eaglewood, and and uh, went to Berlin for a week and dropped parachutes to the kids that used to catch them over the Campbell Air Base. Oh,
0: that's cool! I didn't and, know that. And then
1: I went, and then I went back to to the space program, and a few months later, I got a call from the, the Pentagon. That, I said, you're going to be reassigned. I don't want to be reassigned. I want to stay in the space program. I commander of a huge satellite tracking station. <clears throat> he said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. If you've got no choice. The commander of Berlin, uh, said, the general says, he wants you in Berlin to be the new commander that replaces Clark Tate, the present commander. The, the Germans have done to me, and, and they just almost demand that you, be, you come as a new commander. Well, anyway, I had no choice. So out of the space program, I went back to Berlin for two six and young for four years and uh, met the kids that had grown up and their kids. And, and we had open houses and airdrops for their kids, it's like uh, you, the kids the kids that used to catch them. And, uh, the longest the commander had been in Berlin uh, was two years and 11 months, since 1945 until 1970. and that, And I was there for... They asked me to stay for four, I was four there for four years. Met tons of the kids, the little girl Mercedes, you know all about her. And, uh, and uh, it says, when you see the white chickens drop it there, I don't care if it scares. Well, I, I, we got to know Mercedes, and after, uh, years later, they and her that, that husband and kids came to visits, visit Utah.
0: Okay, I, I got a few questions for you. Um, so, first of all, did did Wrigley's ever donate a lot of gum or candy to you or to the mission?
1: Tons and tons. Okay. Look, I, you
0: know,
1: I got 23 tons. It was 23 tons. And uh, all the candy companies did. Wrigley's, the Hershey's, tons of Hershey's. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't, we dropped it all by parachute except three tons. Three tons it was Christmas parties on the ground to West Berlin. But uh, I, I had a Chickadee Falls, Massachusetts. <clears throat> when the, the confectioner, the president of the Confectioners Association got a hold of me and said, Halverson, we'll give you all, your, all the stuff you need to drop. And he's president of the whole Confectioners Association. And uh, he says, "How much can you use?" And I, told him, that's how, that would ended up, and finally being twenty-three times. But the, the, the airdrops, all my buddies were dropping. So Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts, the back door was and the school system in Chicopee wrote me a letter. I couldn't tie out parachutes nationally, so they said, "Look, I know you got a problem." Yeah. <clears throat> up to that point, when we got more people were donating on the base in Germany and giving me stuff, but this was coming to the states a heavy body, uh, lifted a heavy amount of air, and they said, you know, "Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts, said, we'll tie up all your parachutes uh, and have, have, have the candy company send thought, to us. We'll tie the parachutes in the cardboard boxes, ready to drop. All you got to do is so cut the tops off." And that's that's what happened. The twenty twenty tons up, and, and my buddies were all dropping. I I got it started, but. When, We we dropped all over West Berlin, and of course, I told you about the ones we dropped in East Berlin. Yeah. There were tons and tons, there were lots of letters, many letters with maps, school kids. And Peter Zimmerman wrote me a a letter to say, You're giving us a hard. uh, I met Mercedes Wiles, not Peter, Peter gave me a letter too, but she says, You're. You're giving us a terrible problem. She says, We got chickens and you were on the end of the runway and not far and they're, they think you're a chicken hawk and when you fly over you're they run in the chicken coop and they're <laughs> losing their feathers and, and, and they're not laying eggs very good. That's a problem during the blockade. She chewed me out, this little seven year old seven-year-old girl. <clears throat> and and I and the last paragraph was When you see the white chickens drop a tear, I don't care if it scares me. Well, I couldn't find her white chickens, so I I took a big package of chocolate bars and town candy. I had her letter. I mailed it to Mercedes-Benz in Berlin, and uh, it ended up after the war that they came to my house in Utah and their family. Oh, that's
0: great. So one uh, one question I have, uh, Mr. Halverson, is how did you get, at least initially, did you have other people in the plane, or how were you getting the, the candy out of the plane?
1: Oh, that's a good question. <clears throat> well, we were, our airdrops at first were, <clears throat> were low over the kids and we were meeting. So we, we had to be flying the airplane. So there's three men on the crew. I was a pilot and I had a co-pilot, and a flight engineer. And the flight engineer is between the two pilots, making sure that everything's all right. And right bo- underneath, right underneath the seat almost, there's a crew chief standing up between the pilots. It's a hole in the fuselage, a stovepipe, like a stovepipe. These airplanes were not pressurized. Just in the, Right through the from back of the cockpit, outside the airplane, the size of a, a large stovepipe. And the purpose for that design was, if you had trouble at night, you're losing an engine, and you had to make a crash landing at night, you'd drop a flare out of that chute, and it was on a parachute and it would light up the whole side and you land the guy in the farmer's field instead of the house, his house, as a flare chute. And it also for signals during the war, they dropped signals out that thing. So that was perfect. Okay. So I g- he gave it to the crew chief and I, and I said, I had my arm up, said, well, when I bring my arm up, shove it out the parachute, out the flare-shoot. That's how he dropped it. But later on, we quit dropping on the end of the runway because the crowd got too big. And saw the kids get hurt, so we dropped all around the city um, of West Berlin. We had a map of the whole city. We'd, we'd uh, get all these, all these candies and get it to, uh, all already packages and cardboard boxes. We didn't have to tie up any of it. It came up tides from the States. And then uh, we had a map. We had a target map. And when somebody dropped it at one place, we put a pin there and it would move it around all over the West Berlin. The the kids were letting give detailed instructions. When you take off the second railroad bridge, turn around right one block, I'll be in uh, one block behind that bridge and I'll be there every day at two o'clock drop it there. We tried to make special news where we could, but where we couldn't like with Mercedes, I mailed it to her. <laughs> we so- had a we had a whole we had a whole press crew, a whole People who were answer, helping answer the mail—we couldn't answer all the mail. I'm sure people answered the mail. Well,
0: well, you couldn't even answer all of your uh, proposals for women back in the states either, could Well, you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, even though i was bald-headed, I got quite a few uh, offers. Of, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was crazy. It was—it was fun, but I had a, one of one special gal back home, and uh, and I let him know that I'm sorry. I'm already—I'm already got plans. That
0: was jolly. Wow. Well, um, w- one thing you said uh, is you said, you know, the children, they taught you about freedom. We we explain what you mean by that. I, I know you did a little bit, but is there any more to that?
1: Well, the children there had uh, seen what happened in the dictatorship. And, and during the. The reign of Hitler. There were terrible things done to people raised in, in opposition, and so even early on in their lives, uh, seeing uh, the, the, what, what the dictatorship was like, and then the most the most significant thing was when they drew the artificial border about around Berlin, the British, French, and Soviet American sectors, and right in out of Berlin, those divisions in the city of Berlin. And they had aunts and uncles in the Soviet sector, of course. it was you know, this was this The city of Berlin was just cut up into four pieces. And those people in the, in the Soviet control had aunts and uncles just across the artificial border in West in, in you know, British, French, and American sectors. And those, those people would walk over Across the border when this thing first started to see to what it was like before the blockade, and uh, and the racial French and Americans were giving them the Germans leeway to get leadership going. They they fostered, did helped them get capitalist businesses going. They had more they, they, so the kids and people. In East Berlin, walked across the border. It was like day and night, in the, right in the same city. So what freedom people could choose. They fixed up their bombed-out houses. What they could, and also in the East, waiting for the, the communist government to fix the houses. And and the, the contrast of black and white. The communism versus freedom was across an open road at that time before they put the wall up. And that's why they put the wall up. The contrast was so much that the the Germans were just hoping they could get out of the communist rule. And the the, the wall went up to to keep them out. So that that was freedom versus communism right in the middle of of the city of of Berlin. And the contrast, Stalin couldn't compete. Here was a showcase in one place it was from one side of the street to the other. It was dark. It was dark. It just, it, it's incredibly uh, different. And the, this system was exposed right there into the world. And they couldn't take the competition. That's why they cut off the supplies coming across wow. East Berlin to West Germany. And Western Berlin.
0: So what were the risks in doing these these candy drops?
1: Well, uh, the, the, the risk, uh, we didn't alter our flight patterns at all. We just, we just as we, when we came into Berlin, you had to make a big circle to get in the traffic pattern. So we dropped all over, all over the city. The risks, the only risk that I had is when I did it without permission. I almost got court-martialed, <laughs> and I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. So there's no. There were no risks uh, except for, we, well, what there, there was, there was, in uh, the Soviets did. Uh, in bad weather, they jammed some of our navigation stations. But that wasn't because of the candy drop. They didn't like it. They made official protest to Washington about that. But uh, about uh, no risk to the crews in driving them. And you know, when we dropped all, at altitude coming around the city, we'd send the, the, our crew chief back. The, the airplane, the C-54, which did almost all the work for Americans, had two escape hatches, one on two on each side. And because of the flower dust, the coal dust, because all the stuff were flying, we f- flew with those escape hatches out, big enough to get people out. The escape hatches big enough to somebody crawl through. So we flew with all four of those out. So... so suck out all the dust that was getting into, into the floorboards and the controls. So that and we, So after a while, when the crowd got too big on the end of the runway, we were sent back the crew chief and, and kept the tops out of these cardboard boxes with handholds halfway down the big cardboard box and just push it up against that escape hatch and that, the wind stream would suck it out of that escape hatch and parachutes would fly all over just scattered all over the wind. And that's how we did it. That's how we dropped 20 tons. And I, as I said, I, we had lots of our guys doing it. Uh, when we got all the supplies, I had a, ma- I had a map in the operations in, in Franklin, in Rhein-Main and Wiesbaden in the West Germany. And, and we'd, when the products would go out, they'd put a pin. When they came back, they'd put a pin where they dropped in Berlin, West Berlin. And, and we moved moved it all over, all around, dropping it because we made a circle over it in East Berlin, West Berlin, West Berlin over East Berlin, and West Berlin back to, to land. And so that's how we distributed it. We, uh, just, my buddies, my buddies, we, of course they told totally, me, everybody participated in my outfit.
0: Wow. So, uh, it- now, simple things amuse me. So uh, I know that you used handkerchiefs at first, but when this when this operation when these got when you started dropping a lot of candy, uh, what what were the parachutes made out of?
1: Well, old canvas, old light canvas. The the, the canvas companies, the East Coast, provided all we wanted, and the, the Chickadee, Massachusetts, had the assembly line, and uh, they just. Cut these up and a, a little bit bigger than the hanks, the man's handkerchief and the uh, strings, the string, the come uh, to string. Sent all we needed, canvas guys sent all the all we had to have, and we uh, we kids in chickadee would tie it up and and roll it, they'd, they'd take the parachute apex and roll it down into the candy, and and, and stack it in the and eat, eat in a discrete bundle and put it in, in these cardboard boxes and so fill it clear out. And so when we cut out the top and check when the crew chief would check it up against the skate patch, it'd come out like a vacuum. And immediately, the little parachutes would fly open. And then the wind would scatter over a huge area.
0: Okay. Yeah, I've been wondering that. When When I was a kid, one of my. Most favorite toys was some little superheroes that had a plastic parachute, and uh,
1: yeah, yeah. and
0: I, I couldn't find one. I've never found any like that since, but they were really good. And so, yeah, I loved either climbing a tree and dropping it, or just throwing it in the air and
1: letting yeah, it, yeah, know, fall yeah. Out. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's right. I, I had a I got started with this thing before the war when I got the flight scholarship. I told you about. And uh, so one of the places after I, and we bought that airplane, like I said, and, and uh, we could rotate on who had it when. Uh, and I used to have, live on the farm and up in the Rigby, Idaho, before I got to you know, the seventh grade and went to Utah. And I had some dear friends out there. So this was before the war, before the blockade and anything. And uh, I'd fly over there, and then I, 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 I'd tied a parachute under a candy bar and dropped it to my best buddy up there in Idaho, Rigby Idaho, I, Harold Dowdle. Harold Dowdle was my buddy that would grown up through the sixth grade with us in, the, in Rigby Idaho. And so I came over to his house and I couldn't land up there. We didn't have an airport. So I dropped the, the, that was my first experience before the war I was dropping a parachute to Harold Dowdle in, uh, in Rigby Idaho. <laughs> That's
0: cool. Well, Mr. Alverson, what uh, did you ever have any hesitancy or reservations to to do this with the kids?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I was a very conservative guy and a conservative pilot, and I, I just, uh, I, I had this, a real struggle. But when I saw those uh, those kids' reaction to to two sticks of gum to four pieces. And the look in their eye, I just said I got to do it. I just had a voice that said, you got to, you got to continue. You got to take the chance. And I, I could have been court-martialed, but uh, it, uh, I got a, uh, <clears throat> a phone call from uh, 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 from the office of General Tanner. I said, you know, like I said before, what are you doing? I'm dropping last on college kids, and then he. And I thought I was going to get it then, but then he said, uh, the general says, uh, so I didn't keep doing it. So I, I was, I was but uh, the urge. If anybody has seen the reaction of children just smelling a, wrap, a piece of the wrapper of gum and thinking back to years before when they had sweets and see the look in their eye, I would have done it. No, it's not me. It was the children that uh, made it happen because of their because gratitude. They taught me uh, several prime... Uh, excuse me. Yes, excuse me, I didn't sneeze.
0: It's okay.
1: But in that experience, those kids, what they taught me was what, what's important. Gratitude. Attitude, the attitude... Look, we don't have, first of all, attitude. They taught me, you don't ha- we don't have to have enough to eat, they said. Just don't give up. See? <laughs> Excuse me. They said, just don't give up on us. Someday we're going to have enough to eat. But if we lose our freedom, we'll never get it back. They knew what was freedom like. Their neighbors, their cousins, their aunts, or uncles on the other side of the border in East Berlin. We don't have to have enough. Don't give up on us. Someday we'll have enough to eat. But if we lose our freedom, we'll never get it back. Kids, eight to fifteen. Okay, attitude. That's, that's demonstrating the attitude. Uh, some philosopher said one time, and I, and it applies to this case. You, a person can can if they will, control ninety five percent of how they react to a situation. You get ulcers. Be a cult, or you find an ultimate solution. 95%. The other 5%, He's Schopenhauer said this something. Schopenhauer, I believe it was. The other 5%, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to tell the difference. So, attitude. To, 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 Principal factor gratitude. The uh, explain the gratitude so grateful for fire to be free, they wouldn't ask for candy or gum. Attitude gratitude serves the self uh, by getting out. The only way to true happiness is getting outside yourself, then, behalf of somebody else, uh, and so.
0: Did you grow up sure, in a house like I. that, Mr. Halverson? Did you okay. did, did you grow up in a a family where uh,
1: absolutely okay absolutely absolutely we lived on this farm, I was the only horse my dad had. Well, he had horses, <laughs> he didn't have a tractor, but but that was a, the things they taught me at my mother and dad's name. that uh to gratitude, gratitude serving others. Uh, we we had this small farm compared to most guys around us, and we get first of all it helped dad get the sugar beef in get everything going. And then the the neighbor needed help. We didn't have any money to pay for it to give us produce or something. And Dad said go go help go help them get the sugar beets set. And it was part of the part of the culture. It didn't we nobody had much money and uh, and so attitude, gratitude, service before self. Service is the only true way to get total happiness. And here I was you know, again, before the war, going back to that airplane we bought for 500 bucks, the war would come, everybody, every young guy wanted to learn how to fly. And, of course, we had, I had 35 hours, so as an expert. I just got my life. So the, my best friend, Conrad Steffen from Tremont, I was from Garland, Utah. Conrad Steffen from Tremont, one of my best buddies my same mate says look how I i want to learn to see I just fly I'm, I'm i'm going to go in the military I want to see how to be going the air, army air corps and, and so he bought the gas and i got a lot of flying time with somebody else paying the gas i didn't have any money for gas and i taught conrad had a not do of officially and they couldn't give him a license but he at pearl harbor conrad joined the, the Army Air Corps immediately, and he trained as a fighter pilot. He, he was sent to England to escort the B-17 bombers over Germany. The Germans shot him down and killed my best friend. And I felt guilt. I felt terrible guilt because I got him going. But I kept saying, look, he's going to learn from somebody. Don't, you can't take that. One. So I had served before out But serving, I knew it, the only way I broke, broke that that really blockaded in my, in my heart was to look at the eyes of the kids when he, when he opened up a, a chocolate bar wrapper or, or the way they waved at me. And knowing that it wasn't the kids, that was the problem. It was the uh, director. It was the uh, dictator Hitler. It was the people that, that were, that were over them yeah and that that was the thing that uh, I had a terrible block to overcome there of course the conrad Stefan uh, that was that was tough but attitude gratitude service before, service before self it solves a lot of a lot of psychological problems and the the the, the 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 other factor was the little decisions you make in life this is part of the, the quote out of the book a moment little decisions you make in your life put your footsteps. On the path to where you end up and that little decision and how do you get that that we use GPS today we didn't have it then but our personal GPS like mean, is the Holy Ghost it prompts you to do this or don't do that and it gets you headed on the whatever decision you make puts you on the path where you end up so those are the factors that the kids really I've been taught that. I've been taught those principles, uh, but I saw them in action and and through the eyes of of 8 to 15-year-olds, it changed my life totally.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's powerful. And you've been fortunate enough to meet several of these children or the ones that were children then, you know, years later. So from their perspective, what type of impact did this have on them?
1: Well... Uh, when I went back as commander I met hundreds of, of, of people who are now adults uh, experienced uh, all, all, lots and lots of them and the thing that uh, that uh that that, that that touches my heart today is when I hear from or, uh, during the through the years to hear those that uh to, to, to express their gratitude for for the, the, the 31 Americans and 41 British uh, gave their lives for the enemy they they were killed during the blockade uh, in the air crashes so 31 Americans and 41 30 yeah you know, and 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 40. I think 41 Brits, uh, gave their lives to former enemy. One of my buddies, Bomberlin, during the war, I lived, in a, I lived in the attic of a barn. Uh, in the attic of a barn, there's no room in the end when I got to your list. And we lived in the attic of a barn. And that one buddy says, uh, I, Berlin, I says, How do you feel about coming back here now? You just, after the war, you you got married, you got a couple of kids and all of a sudden they call you up and say, in in four days you're leaving for Berlin and, uh, and to feed the guys that tried to kill you. I said, how do you feel about that? And he says, hell of a better feed them when you have to kill them. I'm glad to be back.
0: Wow. That'd be tough. Wow. Oh yeah,
1: but service before self and he's serving the guys that tried to kill him. And, uh, those are power. Attitude, gratitude, search before self and a little decision to put your footsteps on where you end up, whatever that's. Yeah, so
0: what would your life be like now or where would your life what path would it have taken if you hadn't joined the military?
1: Well, that's that's a good good question. I, I wanted to fly because when that, way before the war and after got a high school, saw the airplanes flying over the field and flying. I wanted to learn to fly. I didn't know how I could ever do it, but I was going to figure out I wanted to be a pilot. I read read a book about a cowboy, uh, and I don't know if I forgot the name of the book, but it was when I was in high school, uh, early in high school, I read this book about a cowboy that's on an airplane out in the desert, and uh, the pilot probably tried to hike in, he had had the emergency land on the road and had the to try to hike somewhere a long way from anywhere and died and, and every airplane that found it and he taught himself how to fly and I, I I just loved that book and so I had that bug in me from even before high school when I got that and read that book and uh, I it, uh, it, it I, I, what would have happened to me uh, I I'm technically oriented the I during high school, I didn't see how you could go to college. We had no money. So Folks didn't. I'd work for the neighbors for money to just buy things for me, and I didn't see any way that I could make it so about it. When a junior in high school, a traveling salesman come by Garland, Utah, and knocked on my door and sell him a correspondence course in refrigeration air conditioning. He says you can get a degree, uh, not a degree, you can get a certificate to... to to fix refrigeration equipment here by correspondence and when you finish the correspondence course you do, you don't have enough we put enough money in it take you two years to do this course and, and by paying the monthly payments will be enough saved to will buy you a bus ticket from Utah to Chicago where we have the lab and when you pad, when you fill all these volumes of Homework on how to refrigeration, the the physics behind it, and the mechanics of it, and then the, you can say finish that satisfactorily then we'll buy your bus ticket and it, it put you up in a, in a dormitory with some other guys in in Chicago to to work in our labs to get the hands-on experience. So that's that's what I did, and. uh, and uh, what would I've done though well that because of that i a a Western auto store in Tremont, Utah says we'll give you a job when you get out to fix refrigerators for us and so that's what i was in, in uh, starting out to do but uh, then then we got that slight scholarship there at all just at the same time and uh, so I would probably ended up uh, uh, getting a franchise. For a Western Auto Store, and because uh, I, I was in, in during high school, I'd sell stuff out of catalogs to the people around town, and uh, so I thought that's that's where I was headed. I would I would have been uh, I would have had a, a dealership for a Western Auto Store, and uh, and, and I had enough skill I think for, by working for for the store there. Uh, and when it was off and on, and right after I graduated from high school, I was full time in store for for quite a while. And I knew how to how to merchandise it and how to handle the inventory, and knew all about it. So that's that's where I would have uh, ended up. Was the, uh, I, I would got into if it hadn't been for getting, getting that pilot scholarship, I'd, I'd probably ended up with a, a, a Western Auto store dealer.
0: Interesting, yeah. I used to visit Western Auto with my dad when I was little all the time. To get oh, my kids, gosh. I used to get parts for my bike. <laughs> you know, I, a, a, I love
1: the smell of that store. I, 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 that's, that's where I, I likely
0: ended up my good friend yeah, in the well, well, Western Auto store. Well, how has this, how did this, you know, this whole experience in Berlin, um, how did it change your life?
1: Well, it, it changed my life because it became an international involvement. It was rich, and I, we, uh, when I was the commander of Tempula for four years, we worked, uh, worked very close under uh, all American resources, uh, military resources, except for a special unit or two under me. And uh, we would uh, work with the British and the French embassies, and uh, it was a total... Totally new environment for a farm kid. that didn't have a toilet in the house. They got it halfway through high school. Um, had a had a Mercedes Benz and a driver for it. Had a gardener. Had a, had a maid in the house. And it was unbelievable. The, maid, the I think to answer your question is, yeah, I became aware of the international. Scope of things in the world, uh, respect for other nations and their problems they have, and then what they have to do to had to do to meet obligations, and that directly uh, honed my appreciation of the United States of America and the the respect that the other countries had for us and the joint effort, joint, jointly working with others uh, in, in the Air Force. I uh, I, I enjoyed the cutting edge of the space program most of my career. The cutting edge of space. Uh, I was in charge of developing a new space booster for the Air Force and writing the plans for it, and they were accepted. And we and we got the Titan III to launch the space launch vehicle. It was a Titan II ICBM core, and we tied two large rocket motors, one on each side of it, put a huge payload manned orbital vehicle in, into orbit. And so I was I, I I didn't want to to leave that when they uh, they cast me back community temple off in nineteen seventy. I was knee deep in the space program and I, I didn't want to go, I everyone to stay where it was, but they said our the Air Force wants you in Berlin. The Berliners want you there. You're going.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Halverson, you turned 96 years old recently, I do believe, last month, yep. I think. Uh, so, yeah, did that, October, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, I would like to ask you, um, you, what advice would you or do you give to people who are struggling, you know, maybe with depression or anxiety or maybe even those especially military-related, uh, you know, the post-traumatic stress and that type of thing?
1: You well, know, I think the, the bottom line and very uh, straight to the point. You've got to get outside yourself. You're, you're Berlin blockaded individually, personally. You can be blockaded like the people in Berlin were by if you don't get outside yourself. You've got to be concerned about somebody besides yourself. And the bigger percent you're concerned about somebody else, the less you're gonna sit and worry about about how bad things are, or uh, or your own personal development. The, the it, it's just that simple. And, uh, that uh, it taught me in primary in the church those principles when I was just a little kid. Uh, I uh, my dad and mom of course. But the, the s- simple and succinct and the point. Get outside yourself on behalf of a good cause. Okay. That affects others.
0: What is your current... What's your perspective of the current state of affairs right now in our world?
1: Well, I'm very much concerned about it, of course. It's all across the globe. Though, uh, keep track of the hot spots, uh, And it's all... Of, uh, mitig all all this public friction is caused by uh, by the desires of somebody to to take over the lives of others to 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 not be appreciative of what they've got but they're trying to trying to change according to their own theory of and uh, which isn't the, always from from the best uh, teachers uh it it's 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 tough and uh I think the one thing we've got that we didn't haven't had before is the plethora of communications that are available. And so, uh, the first level of trying to help things out is to to get the word out the best we can, and 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 not to put down other people. You start putting them down first before you try to give them something. You put them down first, and you've got them on the defensive. But you, you need We need better human relations, better communications to understand others before we judge them and then to see how we can affect... uh, The United States is incredible in that way. They're helping people all over the world in different areas from Africa to all over the place. They're getting outside of the country and that's one of our strengths as a nation. It translates from individual in helping others to a nation that helps others and there's no other nation on earth in the United States that done so much to help other yeah. that is outside our borders and uh, that's one of our, our reasons for vibrancy in the United States and what makes us so different that uh, personal experiences translates to national national level and the same kind of principles.
0: Well, talking about the United States, you know, providing aid to so many people all over the world. I know you've been, you know, you've been in leadership roles and, and lay positions in the LDS Church. Were you ever involved directly with any of the the wealth, the humanitarian efforts throughout the world with the oh, ch- with yeah. LDS we've, Church?
1: Oh yeah, I've, we've helped. Uh, take we on a regular basis. We, go to their warehouses, and package up materials for people in South America, or other places, uh, kits, from where they, from parts of the world where they, the, the church has got missionaries all over the world. Uh, at some places. And the needs are evaluated through our missionaries and, and what the people in that country was. England has uh, served a mission in England, has served a mission in Russia. Uh, I started the mission locally uh, to help people that, that need help, and uh, uh, it, it, it's going on today. With the, the, the LDS Church has got welfare farms all over the place, and I've worked on welfare farms whether there's sugar beets to, to get sugar to ship to, to people in the other countries that need it, or potatoes, or. Wheat, a lot of wheat, and uh, we bring all these things into the bishop storehouse, and and uh, and into all over the the west and the east too, and they package this stuff for for people in, in other countries, and maybe a lot of times it's not just people of the LDS faith that's where a, a terrible catastrophe happens, and they put bring. They have a huge organization to, to get stuff down to South America where a hurricane hit, or something like that. It's a it, it, it's a exemplification of uh of giving instead of taking, and uh, you know, we we've, we've worked. My family has worked with people at, at these, these assembly points to assemble the kits, that first aid kits medical kits, uh, food, well, sometimes still some dried, but, uh, to get the most where it's needed, but you I mean, just put water in it. But it's a, a tentative, of, uh, what I was taught at my dad and mom's knee as a kid, that go help your neighbor. When you get see, beached in here, go over and help both the school fields. They, they, they still got something to do and they haven't got money to pay anybody. And, uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's maybe oversimplified, but the factors that I gave you, I think if if we apply them in our daily lives, and and the example of our Savior, who gave His life, uh, uh true happiness you can't get it unless you give. Yeah,
0: I agree. Uh, that's great advice. I really appreciate it, uh, Mr. Halverson. Anything in closing that you'd like to say?
1: You no, know, I just expect uh, to express my gratitude for being in the United States of America, and uh, to the flag, the flag that flies over our heads, uh, what it means. For the thing the, the, the patriots have gone before have given us well, water from wells we haven't dug. These pa- patriots have, uh, have given us guys of blue unmarked by the contrails within any aircraft and they give us harbors this that harbor friendly ships that serve others besides ourselves so the, what I gained from that is just what I just what I iterated that uh, there's no other country in the world like it we're in a really d- tough stretch right now with the diversity we've got and the leadership potentials and uh, what, what people expect you want one, but we've got a recent constitution that was established got the Senate and the House. It's not in one person's hands. Yeah, yeah. And that's where our strengths, our difference, our strength comes from. And that's what, well we've got to, to to rely on to get us through uh, this this period of problems we have right now, as far as you know, is concerned on leadership. Well, uh
0: it's been a pleasure and uh you you have been uh I know you were featured in the movie called Meet the Mormons. Came yeah. out. I forgot how long ago that was, but less than a year ago anyway. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right.
0: And uh you you've been yeah. you know, Tom Brokaw did a a great special with you in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir one year uh, you you oh, know, yeah. you're easy to find, but really, where would you where do you direct people when they ask how can I learn more about you?
1: Well, the local missionaries, the young men, young men at eighteen take two years of their life to forget about the pursuit of self gratification to go out and help people that that uh, that, that are lost. Uh, as far as what they want to do or what they want to believe, and, and these young women go out of a couple of years to 21, and they they're called and they, they go out and they're very effective in trying to help others. Right back to the basics that I talked about: their, their information and, and uh, of course, the Savior's example is a service is unsurpassed. But as we approach that. Uh, The enormity of his his, uh, service, as the scale gets closer, we think about somebody else, our lives are going to be improved or going to be changed. So, uh, it's, and and in love with this, has to be respect for the rights of others to choose and not be judgmental. And that's where we're on the earth because we're down here to. To choose make choices to grow and develop, and the last thing that we want to get involved with is to see seeing other people's other people are are bad other countries are not, not as good as we are uh, they they are born in under circumstances that we can't comprehend, so we got a first step. To respect the rights of others to choose, and say you, you know you you you're, you're on the wrong track. <laughs> so uh, we, that's not our role. That's not our role to judge. If we can get, get, get away from judging people and saying hey, we we got a fix your your situation. But enlightenment gives them an opportunity to open the door and uh, and respect respect that's why we're here to to make a choice and we're not the ones to judge the results that's
0: true well much respect to you sir I, i thank you not only for your time with me today but for your your service many years of service to this country and then also your your lifelong you know career your your life of service to so many both here and abroad and um you really are a great example of patriotism and selflessness. And and by the way, how many do you can you do you know how many how many uh, I know you you know how many kids and grandkids and great children great grandchildren do you have?
1: Yeah, I've got five children, three boys and two girls. I've got twenty four grandchildren. I've got forty three great grandchildren as of today. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I didn't mention is. When my wife and I were called on the mission to go to Russia, uh, I explained to, to the church authorities calling us that, that I, they know they know about me. I, I was working again uh, in my way in, in the, the Air Force. I signed the task, and I, I, I better, you better think again whether I should go to Russia. And we did. We went to St. Petersburg for 18 months, and the church was, had a wonderful Ward and, and Berlin. I'm in Berlin, I mean, not Berlin, in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. And uh, there I was, and we'd go out to visit different districts in the train, and somehow in the evening to give lessons, and the uh, train would be jammed, and, and half of them were Soviet soldiers, all still in uniform, and they were the guys, former enemy, just like the Germans were. And uh, find the the people, the people are the same the desires what they want. got some very strong leaders in the, in the church Russians and the Soviet union one so one not long after we got signed there, we had a we came into mission home in St Petersburg and president Rogers from b y u was mission president and he he was a linguist who taught Russian at bremen university and in his home, and, and we had in the leaders, of the different churches around St. Petersburg for a monthly uh, discussion of a special message from Salt Lake to Lemba each month. And the first time we met in that group, in the mission home, uh, President Rogers introduced me to a, a Soviet a Russian and there that was a branch president of the church a branch of the Swarty in the Branch President introduced me to him. and said, I definitely want to meet here. And uh, I introduced myself to him. And, and then President I said, he was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Army. And I said, oh my God. And uh, I talked to him and I said, oh my gosh. Uh, 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 what, did you, what did you do in the, as a a Soviet army officer doing the Cold War and he said, well, I was in charge of uh, of, uh, of exercises to train to train our troops. And I said, well, what would you do? He said, well, uh, on the tanks, in case the tanks were coming to the west to Russia, we, we would uh, take a tank and put a white star on it and start it out and then and blow the hell out of it. And I said, "Well, I think we did. This. We might. Have, the army might have done the same thing. Here, we might have painted a red star in a tank in our army exercises. But it was, it was incredible to me to, to sit, stand there with the, the person that was one of them charged the cold war and how are we going to get to it, and how a friend with the common goals." serving others. That was a highlight for me. Oh. Yeah,
0: I i know you have to go, but could I ask you, did you have any struggles, either when you first were called and found out you were going to Russia to serve a mission, or maybe once you got there, any problems at all with just internally with you know being with a former well, enemy?
1: Well, at first it was a shock to me. I, I just, uh, that they said that the, the, uh, the it was a, a, a CES mission, a church education system, mission, job to do, and that was to teach teach the teachers, to, to teach the, the Russian, the Soviet teachers of the different classes every month what the new lesson would be for the next month. Well, to get back to your, your question, I was, I was somewhat concerned. I was concerned, and I expressed that concern. But uh, to my church leaders, I said, I don't know how this, they, they probably know, they must know who I am, uh, I'd, I'd rather have you reconsider and call me back. And uh, they, I got a call the next week that says, Brother Allison, we've gone over this in headquarters, and uh, we think that the good Lord will take care of you, and... Uh, Go ahead and and do it, and so we did, and we had wonderful success. We worked with uh, worked with missionaries, and we were the ones that gave them a uh, gave all the teachers and for the their 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 Tuesday night mutual every Tuesday night for the young people uh, in the church worldwide. They have a special night for the young people. They have a lesson, and uh, so we 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 trained the teachers. they're all Russians, all Soviet teachers. What uh, the lesson be for next month? We with them every month. It was a wonderful experience.
0: I'm sure it was.
1: Well, the Lord knows
0: what He's doing. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, in the show notes of this podcast, I will direct people to your your website. I believe it is oh
1: good Wiggly
0: dot Weebly. So that's Wiggly Wings and then dot W e e b l y. Yeah,
1: cheese on the Wiggly at Gmail no, no, Wigleywings at Wiglywings.wigly dot, dot com. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Appreciate it.
0: Well, it's it's been an honor. Thank you for your time. And uh I will uh for you listeners out there, please if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it. Go to podco- uh, sorry to iTunes and rate the podcast. Uh, preferably five stars. Give us a review. You can find us also on, on Google. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Google Play and also on Stitcher. So
1: please go well, that, follow us. You you got my email? Yes,
0: sir. I've got it, and um, I yeah. I will email you. I'll email you that when this when this is going to launch out uh, for uh for yeah. Christmas. Yeah.
1: I'd, oh my gosh, that'd be great. I would sure like to have a copy of it.
0: Well, sure. It's yeah. going. You'll be able to uh, to download it. Okay. okay. I can talk. To I can good. talk to you as we get closer to to help you with that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Been an honor talk to you. God bless.
0: You. Thank you. God bless you too, sir. Have a good evening. The Christmas Day will come and go away and I've got so far to go But I want to go home I need to go home Maybe surrounded by strangers and Christmas lights I shouldn't feel so alone But I want to go home God, I miss you, you know
1: I can close my eyes and see the angel on the tree, a blanket of snow outside, and all my friends and family. And though I know that you're no further than a call away, I need to see your face. A call could never be the
0: same. The Christmas day will come and go away and I won't leave you alone. No I wanna go home. I've got to go home. Let me go home.
1: December night